Hebrews Bible Study, Part 31, Starting to Finish Up, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. A word of caution for all deacons and lay leaders, I confess to you, that I did not have time to write out the transcript for this Bible study, and I will be doing so after this recording due to scheduling concerns. I have to record when things are quiet in my home, and this is the only time that I can do so. But I highly recommend that everybody listening go to verylutheran.biz and find the PDF form of this Bible study to get a more well-rounded experience for the sake of house churches that use these. Now that said, let us continue in our commentary. Hebrews chapter 12 represents something of a climax, at least the very end, which tells the Hebrew congregation to whom the author writes everything that is culminated thus far. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Christ and all of the saints. In your baptism, you have much to rejoice over. Hang in there. But now for this final chapter, it is time to conclude matters with some more earthly concerns that touch on the heavenly, to be sure, but it is more of a practical outworking of the heavenly truths that the author has discussed. An implication of the 13th chapter is that while the author has given us grand truths about the whole of Christianity, the Old Covenant being replaced by the New, the supremacy of Christ over all in the universe, with the lone exception of his Heavenly Father, whom he is one with because of the Trinity, we are still to love our neighbors as ourselves. We still live in the material world. And while the author has spoken much about holding on, enduring, continuing in the faith, and so forth, the Christian life does not consist solely in desperately hanging on or enduring the slings and arrows of this life. To the contrary, he says, let brotherly love continue. 
Now this first verse uses the word Philadelphia. It is a brotherly, friendly love toward one another. We are to have agape love for one another, certainly. But Christians, nonetheless, are still called to be friendly with one another. This helps to motivate agape love, which is selfless love, looking to the good of the other for their own sake. This may be a bit of speculation on my part, but I would say that brotherly love, Philadelphia, prevents the temptation to withhold agape love. If we are always prickly and spiny and grumpy and unfriendly to other Christians, we are tempting other Christians to not hold agape love for us, to not seek our good. Likewise, if others mistreat us or are always yelling and shouting and complaining, then we may be tempted to not associate with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation. Note that this is in the context of a local congregation. The author is writing to a congregation of Hebrews telling them to hold brotherly love for one another. This does not mean that you have to personally like every single Christian in the entire world or hold them in some great esteem. To the contrary, it is a localized Philadelphia. However, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. If somebody comes into your church who is not a member of the church, is not familiar with the Christian faith, and so forth, it is still incumbent upon the believer to be cordial, to offer assistance, to be kind to them. One motivation for this is entertaining angels unawares. We're not able to discern who is an angel in disguise and who is not, However, we are not to say that this is the only motivation for showing hospitality. It is a positive motivation rather than merely a hard command, though the hard command is still there to love the stranger as well. Now, does this mean we invite strangers into our homes? Does this mean that we bend over backwards to import foreigners because they are, by definition, strangers? Of course not. This is showing hospitality to those who come, not forcing them to be here for the sake of showing hospitality. It is a good work that is done when the occasion arises, not something actively sought out for. Christians are not required to be obsessively xenophilic or something. Now that said, there are Christians who are not able to be among the congregation due to life circumstances such as persecution. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, all who are mistreated since you also are in the body. 
here we see that the author of Hebrews is speaking about various groups of people. Let brotherly love continue, a local love that members of the congregation have for one another. Then, for those who are not part of the congregation, but may wander in or pay visits or be business partners, what have you, somebody of the world, show them hospitality. We do not know the true quality of that individual stranger. And then, for those who are part of the congregation, but not with them due to circumstances like being in prison or being mistreated, perhaps even exiled, they must be remembered. By remembrance, surely this is mental recall. They should not be forgotten. However, this must result in supporting them. Simple mental recall shall not suffice here. If we are to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, means that we are to think of ourselves as being one body with them, as we truly are in our baptism. Therefore, our persecuted brothers and sisters who are not able to come to church must be supported. We should offer them prayers. We should offer support to donate to their commissary and so forth. Now that does not mean that we are to get into everybody's private business. Hence verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I certainly wish that the church would heed these words. We do not hold marriage and honor as we ought, and we permit the marriage bed to be undefiled when we wink at fornication or wink at homosexual sins and adultery, remarriage, etc. On the other hand, other churches are so uptight that they tell married couples what they can and cannot do on their marriage bed, thus casting aspersions on the estate of marriage itself and holding it in low esteem, as though the Bible did not teach that marriage was established before the church was. And it is on account of the sexually immoral and adulterous that various church bodies will do this. They are so afraid of fornication and adultery that they hold that putting some sort of collar, some sort of chain upon the married couple will keep them from straying, or they hold celibacy in too high of an esteem. Now, as the author holds marriage in esteem and says the marriage bed should be undefiled, he contrasts this with judgment against the fornicator and the adulterer. Because he is speaking of sexual matters, in a certain sense this means the church should be the most pro-sex institution on earth, as marriage is the place for it, and it is the only place for legitimate sexual activity. The church should celebrate and encourage that by helping marriages be formed and continue. However, the judgment against the sexually immoral and adulterous, again the fornicator and the adulterer, the matter is also clear that the church should be the most anti-degeneracy institution on earth. 
As an aside, may I remind people that fornication is not actually coitus, neither is adultery. Those acts, while they take two to perform, are really just masturbation using another human being as some form of sex toy. The author, by saying we should hold marriage in esteem, in honor, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, is saying we are to celebrate actual sexual activity in the context of the covenant of marriage. Surely, because the context speaks of the fornicator and the adulterer, there is the sexual element. However, marriages should first be celebrated as a matter of family, as a matter of covenant, the two becoming one flesh, one life together. The sexual aspect of it comes after in priority. Verse 5 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The author is connecting trust in the Lord with our material lives. For someone to constantly be coveting money, cash, payments, etc. is to say they do not really trust God. They are not content with what they have. They always want more because there is a fear that they will have nothing and God shall forsake them. To motivate people, the author positively states that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You do not have to trust in money or covet it because our Lord will take care of you. Whatever you need, trust in him for it, and he shall provide. Thus the author says in verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? One might notice a tension there. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear, as a verse coming right after the author has told the congregation to support one another, to show hospitality to others telling them to do things that support and help each other. How can we say the Lord is my helper and provider and protector when I am also relying on my church body to do the same? There is no actual tension, of course. Our Lord provides us with people in our churches. He provides us with these guidelines to help each other out and provide for one another. Our Lord brings people into our lives that they may act as God wearing a mask, as it were, or as Luther would put it. But in addition to this, God goes above and beyond merely providing us with a community he also blesses us beyond that and provides for us in many manifold ways, ultimately culminating in eternal life in Christ in the new heavens and new earth. Next week, we will speak more on intra-church relationships and where the clergy fits in in the mind of the author of Hebrews. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.